Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks. And as we near the end of the year, we dissect stronger and weaker counters of the year. That's a Jubilee, West Seaswe, Renegin, Mahube, Caxton, Transpaco, Sun International, and Astoria. All this now with the financial mails of Mark Hassan First Mark, it's always a pleasure. Good afternoon to you. All right, I'm very surprised actually, Mark, uh, not with PGMs being uh, some of the biggest losers, but renewables. Um, I thought we were in a renewables boom. Well, that's why I put, put that one down. Mm. You know, you'd say, sure, it's a great sweet spot. And I mean, if you do look, I mean, if you look at some of the companies who've got renewable exposure, so but I'm talking about solar and projects that make money. So something like ENX is surprised mm. with their, their um, new, new way power doing incredibly well and suddenly becoming a huge pillar of their business. And then, um, you know, you've got others like Roynet who also just making quite a lot of inroads into the solar market and making good money from it, looking very promising. Then you've got other counters that haven't done so well. And there's three in particular, I suppose. I don't really watch these very closely. I, I used to watch Montauk a lot, but I still get confused by it. It's a very complicated company. So that had a hit near the end, close to the end of the year now, and that's come off a bit. It was doing okay. Uh, Renegin is well documented. I think that share price might be down 50%. Um, and Mahube, you know, it, it also one that I like. In fact, I'll disclose I'm, I'm a shelter there. I'm a partially disappointed shelter. But, you know, they um, they paid dividends, but suddenly the wind stopped blowing and lo and behold, no dividends. So there are risks in, in these businesses and it might be a sweet spot, but I think there's been some pain, some surprising pain. I'm actually keen to get into those renewables first, uh, starting with Renogen. The Renogen story was uh, great at some point. I think markets were really impressed. Uh, the phase one of the project seemed to go well. I think complications came in with phase two, Marcus. Speak to us about this counter. Okay, now the, 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 the intricacies I'm not good at mm. with um, these kind of things. Uh, my brother-in-law, he used to be in the, in the gases business, he used to explain a lot to me, so I've tried to learn. But it, it, it's one of those stories. Yes, it's a story. Um, and funny enough, it recalls something that I remember, maybe some of the older viewers will remember Sally's, which is a fluor spa mine many years ago. It's also a great story. It was a great commodity being at the time. And there were these deposits and it was going to be extracted. But getting the stuff out the ground, that was the problem. It cost more. There were issues that affected it. And that actually fizzled out horribly. Um, Renogen's, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it looks like it's it's got a couple of bridges it's got across still. The share price has been really hit lately. Um, and, you know, I think it needs to make progress to turn sentiment around. I think the, as progress doesn't happen, the share could slip. I mean, it's got some big things it's got to do in terms of funding. Uh, if those things fall away, um, I wouldn't like to be holding the share. It could, could be quite nasty. Then again, if they do get the funding and start delivering, it could be the, the, the other side. Um, I think this counter's got a lot of detractors, got a lot of supporters. It's very interesting. It's one I'd probably be a little bit scared of still, to be honest. What is also interesting, I think, about uh, Renogen is what might have happened with social media, showing the, the power of social media. If somebody goes out and tweets something um, and that person is considered to be credible, that can also drive the share price uh, down quite a bit. And Renogen's been uh, a victim to that. Hey, Mark? Yeah, well, look, I wouldn't say a victim. Mm. I, I mean, you, you know, if you can't answer things that are put out there and if you haven't, if you haven't got the traction operationally, then I suppose people are going to poke holes in your story. That's going to happen. As I say, if they can get things right, get the funding in place, get the listing that they're looking for on the NASDAQ, 
get some gas flows, get the stuff through to clients, then sure, it will change the narrative. But um, while that doesn't happen, yes, people are going to have a field day. And that has hit the share price. Um, but, you know, it's it's the nature of the game these days. This is what you've got to put up with. And if you're a, a counter like this, you are going to attract those kind of comments. Then I must move over to uh, Mahube. This is also a, a pure renewables play. The IPP program in South Africa, is that what's complicated Mahube's investment case? Hmm. Look, I, I actually think it's. I used to think it was quite a complicated investment. I think it's quite a simple case. Mm -hmm. They've got very small stakes in four. I think it's four or five projects: solar and wind. Those projects have all got long-term arrangements with ESCOM for for supply. So it should go swimmingly on paper. Unfortunately, like I alluded to earlier. If the wind doesn't blow in the Northern Cape, um, you're not going to generate power. Then you're not going to have your windfalls in terms of cash flow, etc. So yes, um, you know, I, I still think it's in a good space. I like the company. I like quite like the pricing right now compared to its NAV. And I suppose if it can get its dividend flows back, um, it's at an interesting juncture. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. What's also interesting about them is uh, they've put this, mo this money into these projects. And like you're saying, uh, it's a bit of a, a long-term game here. What happens in the meantime for an investor? Uh, you know, can you expect uh, a dividends, Mark? And where would the dividends come from as we wait for these IPP projects and this uh, project, uh, ESCON projects to come online, which we know with our government could take longer than what we think? Yeah, look, that, that, that is obviously there's obviously the risk, but I think they've they've got things in place already. What I suppose what worries me a little bit is now, do you just sit with these current projects you've got, earn the cash from it, pay a dividend? Because then you're looking at a yield play and not much capital gain, etc. Or do you somehow earmark cash flow for new projects? Or do you raise capital for new projects? Um, uh, it, it's very interesting. So it's going to be a quite an interesting one to watch to see how they go forward. I suspect for now, just getting consistent dividend flow. And I think that's what's hit the share price. Is it was paying nice dividends, very nice dividends, in fact, a little bit uh, up and down. But when they stopped, when they didn't pay the dividend last year in the second half, or this year in the second half, th that hit confidence quite a lot. So the share, you know, has pegged down quite a lot. Then moving back to the PGMs, uh, both Jubilee and Besizu are smaller PGMs. In my mind, if I see a big PGM miner like Sibanye uh, really battling, it makes me worry even more uh, for uh, companies like uh, Jubilee and Besizu. Uh, Mark, speak to us about uh, these two counters and uh, just what's driven their performance over the year. Okay, you, you made a great point there about the bigger PGM counters. So if I was going to play in the platinum market as it, is, as, as it stands now, um, honestly, I would look at Impala, Angler Platt or Sibani. I'd look at the bigger players, clearly. Um, the smaller players will now, you know, really, I suppose, fall away. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say they're bad companies. I mean, Jubilee, I think, I've watched them for a long time. They've built a very interesting business case. It's the, it's the PGMs, the Chrome. They've got the Zambian Copper, which might be detracting a bit for them at the moment. It's a, it's a company that makes money. Um, it, it's... Listed in London, it's got some strong shareholders, but it's gone off at the moment. It really is with a whole PGM, and it's gone gone off worse than the rest of the PGM market. I think it's down something like 50% or something, if I'm not correct, 45% somewhere around there. That's so taken a big blow. What I do like about them is that they do communicate quite well. I saw a recent presentation. They try to explain what they do. They give quite a lot of detail about their operations. So maybe it's just they should just they hopefully can sit through this, get through it, and on the pickup, take off again.
but not but i don't think it's necessarily a bad company and being punished for being a bad company mm-hmm. which is the same with this with Cizwe, by the way i think mm-hmm. that's why i chose both of these Let's talk about uh, West Seasway, uh, also uh, in the PGM space. They've already gone on uh, to announce some job cuts, but sometimes announcing job cuts means there's a plan in place. Yeah, I know that the share price didn't think that at all. I think it went down further. Um, now, they're down almost 60%. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a time when they were just about to get their production plant going and start mining properly. And I think the share might have gone 120, 140 at, at one stage. People were quite excited. It's been a meticulous process with the Chinese investors. They've built this plant. They've um, stuck with it. They've put a lot of debt into it. They've lent a lot of money to it. So everything's been done properly, but now the market's turned. Now what happens now? They're changing their, their, their mining model, which to me sounds a bit alarming at this stage, mm. um, from a hybrid you know, model now to a board and pillar, whatever that means, but it doesn't sound good to me. And the share price certainly is, is, not, is not liking it. Um, what I think should be watched here is the main investors put a lot of money in, um, and it's got to be decision time. Uh, do they take this thing private? Mm. Do they turn their debt into equity? I'm, I'm not sure, but something's certainly got to give. I'm going to move over to some of the winners now because uh, this is the sector that you actually uh, exposed me to and I had no idea how big it was. Specialized gaming and leisure is a huge, uh, much bigger than what I anticipated. So maybe start yeah. off with Sun International, which in my mind was essentially just a tourism business, but has proven to be a little bit more uh, than that. Uh, they've also come up with recently a rather cryptic uh, cautionary about being busy with an acquisition. Yeah. Yeah, look, um, Sun, you know, even post-COVID had a lot of debt. They'd done the big development near Pretoria, the Times Square development. They'd acquired uh, assets in Latin America. Their debt was incredibly high. Um, to their credit, they sold Latin America. They tweaked and twisted and seemed to get, be getting Times Square right. That was a hell of a, I think it was a four billion rand development. So sure. a lot of money put into that thing that had to work. And the debt now, the South African debt, I think it's under six billion rand, which is much more manageable. Um, they, they're spitting cash flow as gaming companies do and paying a very nice dividend. So I think the shares are up oh, about 25, 27%. That excludes the dividend. There's a quite attractive dividend. But as you alluded to, there's a, I, I thought quite a surprising cautionary. I didn't think they'd be looking at acquisitions at this point. I thought they might still want to cut their debt down. Just having said that, debt in gaming companies always high with the strong cash flow. So it's nothing to be alarmed about. But I did think they might push it down a little bit more. And I also thought there might be an emphasis on paying a special dividend or so. So to see uh, a cautionary saying they're looking at the material transaction that could move the share price is quite surprising. And I mean, my only guess could be possibly something in the online sports betting space, which they seem to be growing very fast. And I think they realize that critical mass is important there, which you've got the big guys, Betway and Hollywood Bets, uh, Lotto Star, you know, they're still a distant fourth compared to those. So possibly it's a, a one to add critical mass there. Their marketing is insane. You see it everywhere, Mark. Uh, keen to also yeah. touch on the story. Yeah. They're also an interesting one, uh, you know, a company that you don't hear much of and you might even overlook, but in their very interesting yeah. assets in that portfolio. Yeah, so this was a bit of a stretch for me. Mm. To be honest, I couldn't really find another gaming company that had done so well. <laughs> so, but this is probably not a stretch. They've got Safari and Outdoor, the, the hunting and outdoor retailing as one of their core investments. They've got wholesaling divisions there as well that operate that same market. Um, they've got the Gold Rush gaming business. They've got a big stake in that or a big significant minority stake in that. And then they've got Lead Corporation, which is all the um, 
stuff you use and you ride your motorbike or BMX bike, all the protection gear. So that, to me, quite a stretch is kind of a leisure appeal. But yes, they, as you say, they've been very much overlooked. Um, it, Astoria initially started its life with Peter Armitage's anchor. And it was an international investment firm. The RECM guys took it over a little bit by stealth and then turned it around into, into the business that currently is a diversified investment company with assets pretty much everywhere. But as I say, there is a strong leisure uh, dynamic there. And I think um, just uh, looking at some of the sales I saw from Cal Group, the old Carp Agri, in the Agrimark division in terms of arms and ammo, they called it, I think it was up 70%. So sales of hunting equipment might be quite good this year as well for uh, Safari and Outdoor. We'll have to wait and see. Sounds like people are spending a bit of time on just escaping the reality, Mark. Um, (laughs) Let's touch on these packaging companies. Uh, Also, sometimes you may uh, look at a bigger one like a a Sapi and a Mondi, uh, but there's also these uh, little uh, ones that are much, much, uh, that could actually have some value. Maybe starting off with uh, Caxton. Yeah, again, you know, I picked these for a reason because you'd expect the packaging sector not to be that good this year. And you'd probably expect something like Caxton's got a big printing element to it as well, and packet, you know, it has got huge packaging side as well, not to perform that well. But it's done a hell of a well. It's up 20%. Um, it's still trading at a massive discount to its hard NAV. Um, and I say hard, I mean, those are the hard assets, you know, Goodwill, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's really an amazing cash spinner, um, strong balance sheets, lots of capital to spend if they want to make little bolt-on acquisitions. I don't think they're going to make a big one anymore after they've got impact in there. And I think there is an opportunity to buy out some smaller assets. I think they bought out Cognition, which is one of their corporate cousins. I wouldn't be surprised if they looked at African media entertainment as well. And there must be other little niche operations in the packaging sector that might be looking for a big brother in these tough times. So they nicely teed up and did very well this year. Another interesting part of Caxton is coffee cups, which is booming in South Africa. I'm super surprised, Mark. I'm wondering uh, if you're equally surprised that something that we just don't think about as much as the, co- the takeaway coffee cup uh, could be so lucrative for a company. Yeah, look, I mean, I think they've, you know, they're in the consumer business. They do cigarette cartons. They do stuff for the lick industry. This is just another extension of that, I guess. Um, coffee is like an addiction, I suppose. People like to walk around with their takeaway coffee cups like a badge of honor. So, yes, it's probably a good business to be in. I think it's not one that's going to fade anytime soon either. And then, Daniel, at Transpaco, uh, that's also one we don't hear about often. Uh, speak to us about this counter and how it's fared over the years. Yeah, that's up about 27, almost 30% with the dividends put in. Um, Transpac is interesting because it is it was listed in the late 80s. It's just plugged away, profitable every year, paying a dividend. <laughs> doesn't get much viewership from anyone um, from the mainstream market, mostly ignored. Uh, what always fascinates me is they bought two of Nampax's unwanted operations, and these operations spin money for them. And I've always been wondering if they're not looking at some of the bits of Mampac at the moment. Um, the, the plastics and the paper operations could easily, some of them could easily fit into Transpacker. They seem to bet acquisitions down pretty well. Um, it's a lean and mean organization, unlike Mampac. Well, Mampac might be getting lean and mean now, but you know, it was just a, a lovely operation to, to watch because there's no frills and they're just there for the shelter, churning out returns year after year. 
But also interesting is uh, how Transpaco has been able to weather the storm in terms of load shedding. And like you're saying, it's one of those companies, uh, you know, that's just true to itself. It does what it does, and it does it really, really well. I'm wondering, uh, Mark, about the ability to uh, just absorb shocks uh, from a management perspective and how that, how whether it matters what kind of management team you have when the shock comes in. Because Transpaco seems to have just weathered the storm just fine. Yeah, I think this management team understand they run a packaging business. Mm. They're not trying to be fancy about it. I think that's what they do, and mm. that's always a good sign. But yes, you know, let, let's just be frank. The second half of their last financial year, there you could see some of the strain coming through from load shedding, mm. etc. It's not like companies are immune to this. Let's be honest; they can always suffer. You can't get around everything all the time. It does affect demand. It affects all kinds of things. So just that they will weather it. They'll get through the tough times. If they have a drop in earnings, you'll be sure they'll be coming back quite hard. Uh, they're just geared to do that. Well, Marcus, all we have time for today, but thank you so much for taking us through these stocks. Uh, very efficient and effective. Thank you so much. That was a Financial Mail's Mark Hassenfuss.